Welcome, Resonate family and any other friends tuning in. We are glad to have you here. This summer, we are starting a series that is called The Story of God. This 12-week series covers the timeless saga of God's redemptive love, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. What is God's greater story that is unfolding throughout all of history? Each week, we will explore these questions and get into the depth and breadth of God's covenant with His chosen people, humanity's response, and the hope to be found in His story. Our prayer as we go through this series is that God's redemptive movement throughout history would inspire us to greater devotion, to love God and our neighbors on campus and in Seattle. Good morning, y'all. It's moving to hear uh, Patrick Holland's story of receiving uh, that heart transplant. It's a story full of hope, uh, healing, and freedom, even as he shares of of the, the drama of of missing his heart transplant uh, because of the delayed flight, uh, but then sticking around Seattle, receiving a heart, being able to run around the kitchen table with his friends—it's it's moving. Like you hear Patrick say, he's not gonna—he's not gonna waste this gift. And I think this—the same is—is is true for us. Like we have uh, received a gift more than uh, uh, a human heart, which is temporal. Every human uh, needs a renovation of the heart, a heart free from uh, the chains of sin. We know that uh, apart from Christ, every every human is, is under the power of, of the, the fall of man. As we went through, as we've been going through this story of God uh, series, we, we looked at how man rebelled and chose our own way. And uh, now we've all been inflicted uh, with this sickness of sin and that the world needs freedom from sin. We see it every day. You know, where I'm from, the, the, the Judeo-Christian values of the Midwest, uh, where where life in, in the city or in, in towns across the Midwest may may look like they're influenced uh, by Jesus, like it, it, the, the cultural values certainly look more like maybe what God uh, intended uh, for his people, yet it can still be uh, devoid of God's presence. It could just have the appearance of uh, righteousness. And, and we come out here to Seattle, and, and it looks blatantly opposite to the kingdom, right? Uh, but yet, whatever things look like on the outside, uh, without God's presence, uh, there is still there is still wickedness, right? And that we all need that. So, you know, when, when Patrick says he's not going to waste the gift of this new heart that he has received, that we have all in Christ received a, a new heart spiritually. We have been made new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That that we have actually received what, uh, what the world truly needs. So wait, so I, my prayer this morning is that we wouldn't squander the blessing that God has given us, that we have what the world truly needs. The world needs freedom. Seattle needs freedom. I need freedom. And our scripture this morning sp- directly speaks to this very issue. So we're in this sermon series walking through the beginning all the way to the end of the story of God. We looked at creation, uh, the fall of man, flood last week, uh, where where God cleaned up our own mess, right? Um, 
bringing cleansing to the earth, uh, cleansing our sin. But now we, we go on to God fulfilling his promise to humanity in Genesis 3 that he would restore us in relationship with himself. Because even after God's promise to Noah, where he would never flood the, again, flood the earth again to, to clean up our sin, uh, the, the core problem with humanity, the human heart, was still infected with sin. So our sinfulness survived the flood with Noah and his family, and wickedness continued to grow. So as we're in the book of Genesis still, by chapter 11, we get to this, this crazy story of, uh, in the city <clears throat> where we call the Tower of Babel. That the people of Babel are controlled by sin, trying to make their name great instead of God's name. So basically, from the fall in Genesis 3 uh, to the Tower of Babel in, in chapter 11 of Genesis, everything is, is still going downhill pretty quickly. Um, God cleans up our mess, but we make another mess. And we are relentlessly enslaved by sin. And we see that humanity is powerless against sin, destined to multiply it, but God doesn't leave us there. And this is where we pick up in the story of God when he establishes his covenant with Abraham and his family. So we're going to read from excerpts from Genesis 12 and 15 this morning. So if you want to turn there in your copy of Scripture, or you can follow along on the screen up here. And actually, at the end of chapter 11, we meet Abraham. As his name starts as Abraham, but, but uh, God changes it halfway through the story. So for clarity's sake, I'm just going to refer to him as Abraham. And at the end of, of chapter 11, we're given a, a few details about this man. We're told that he lives in the land of Ur, and he and his wife Sarah are childless because his wife Sarah is barren. She can't have kids. Now, other than that, Abraham is, is living a pretty ordinary life. And then God does something completely unexpected. So here we are in Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And God comes to Abraham and says to him, Get out, leave your country, your people, your family, everything that's familiar to you, get out. Then God promises to make Abraham's name great. In contrast to what we see uh, in the people in the Tower of Babel who tried to make their own names great, and, and God at that point scattered them across all the earth, bringing confusion in their language. And, and, and as, as creation is spread out, spreading out over the earth, God chooses Abram, makes a promise to him, that he would bless him, and by blessing him, he would bless all these families of the earth that have now been spread out. And that that his his offspring would would go on to, to bless all the, the, the people of the earth. And this is important because God tells Abraham his plan that will carry on throughout history, that God will bless humanity through Abraham's 
offspring. He would make his name great. But remember, Abraham's uh, wife, Sarah, is barren, so she can't even have children. And God is asking him to believe, will you believe that I will do the impossible? In this, God's condition uh, was one of obedience, to trust him and leave in what is familiar. And as God, as, as Abraham obeys God in leaving, um, God blesses Abraham to be a blessing. This is true for Abraham, and this is true for us, that we are blessed to be a blessing. And we see that God blesses Abraham to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. But we might ask, you know, how can I be sure that I am a part of God's story of redemption? How, how am I wrapped up in this story of God? We might say, you don't know my life. It's riddled with insecurity and failure. And that may be your story. That's my story. But that's also Abraham's story. While Abraham trusted God and wandered out to the promised land, Abraham experienced insecurity and failure to obey. That In his wandering, Abraham lives a normal human life of moments with courage and, and faithfulness. But then the next moment, he's cowardly and faithless. That His journey is one of inconsistency, trying to grab God's blessing without trusting God's timing to provide for him. So as we've, we've looked at his life, I'm just going to do a, a short list, a, a short a collection of some of Abraham's dubs and L's, some of his wins and his losses, uh, moments where he obeys uh, but then fails to obey. So right off the bat, the first uh, life event uh, that we look at is that he, he wins. He, he, he is, he's faithful. To obey, he leaves home. He trusts God and wanders to the promised land. But as he's in that journey, there is this famine that comes, and Abraham leaves uh, the 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 direction that he was going to the promised land, and he goes to Egypt uh, because they're experiencing this this famine. And w- when they're rolling up into Egypt. Uh, Abraham begins to get to fearful. He, he, he's, he's afraid for his life uh, because uh, his wife Sarah is beautiful. And he knows that the people in Egypt are going to notice that and that they might try to kill him to get Sarah. So he comes up with this, this plot uh, in a moment of insecurity and fear. He lies about Sarah being his wife. He says, he tells Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, hey, and this, this woman, she is just my sister. And we call that an L. He failed uh, to be be courageous to trusting um, with God. Later on uh, in in Abraham's life, um, we, we see him chilling, and his little nephew Lot, that that as we see in chapter twelve, left with him. And and later on in the story, they kind of uh, they split off, and and Lot is is. Is living with these these people, and uh, these four kings, they come to to Sodom, and and Abraham leads an army of three hundred eighteen versus this army of of four kings, which we think is like thousands of people who 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 they kind of dominate uh, this area that that Lot is leaving, and they take Lot away and and all of Lot's possessions, right? So there's all these. 
these spoils that are won from this this battle. And Abraham hears about it, and he leads this this group of 318 men to save them. And this is this moment of this this heroic moment, right? What we begin to see is a dub, but more than that, uh, even in his victory of leading this small army over this large army to save his nephew, is that uh, he he rejects to to take the spoils of war, which was very common, right? And he says uh, this is an obedience to God, so that y'all can't say, you know, Abraham became rich like because of us and receiving uh, what, what, what he won from us in war, but only that God provided, that God blessed me, right? So this is this moment, because of his oath to God, he refuses the spoils of war. Again, another moment of obedience, a dub in Abraham's life. But then he tries to grab the promise of God instead of trusting God to provide. So now fast forward in the story, they're, they're living in the promised land uh, for over a decade now at this point. And they're beginning to be fearful. Uh, is, are we going to have this kid? You know, I'm still barren. That's what Sarah says. So, so uh, Sarah and Abraham come up with this plot to have Abraham take Hagar, one of uh, Sarah's uh, servants, as, as his wife. And that, hey, you're going to go have a, a kid with her. <laughs> and, and that is how we're going to have, we're going to make this family of us, right? And, and, and Abraham, Abraham does that. He takes uh, Hagar as his wife, and, and they give birth to Ishmael. They fail to trust God's provision of a child. And even though uh, he took an L right there, he failed to obey in trusting God's promise and, and try to grab it for himself, God still renews his covenant with Abraham later on in his life uh, through the act of circumcision, which is a sign of God's everlasting covenant with uh, Abraham and his descendants, that, that this, this covenant of circumcision would, would be this stark contrast between the rest of the world. Like That's how we know these are God's people. And it will be a sign uh, of, the, of the covenant between God and Abraham. That every male uh, in in Abraham's um, descendants uh, who is eight days old would be would be circumcised. This 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 covenant in chapter seventeen of Genesis. So God knows all of Abraham's future faithfulness to him and his failure. Whenever he he chooses to bless him and calling him to go uh, to the promised land, right? That he would in turn bless the world through his descendants. So right after Abraham had saved his nephew Lot and before having Ishmael with Hagar, God restated his covenant with him in Genesis 15. This is where we're going to read again from Genesis 15:1. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is a is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. 
Again, this is before, again, before he marries Hagar and tries to grab the blessing. So he's he's already kind of processing like, man, are you going to come through with this? I'm beginning to doubt. In, in verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it him as righteousness. And he said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. And what we see here, in light of Abraham's dubs and his L's, his moments of courageous obedience and faith, faithless disobedience, we see God restate his covenant. And from this, we can see that just as Abraham was blessed, not because of his own goodness, but because of God's, that we are blessed because of God's goodness, not our own. That Jesus secured our freedom, even though we are rebels still. Abraham was just as messed up and sinful as you and me. Abraham wasn't blessed with God's righteousness because he was perfect, but because he believed in the Lord. Verse 6 of chapter 15 says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it him as righteousness. That Abraham believed the Lord, and that That's why it was counted to him as righteousness, that we were given righteousness just as Abraham was given righteousness. And and Paul speaks about this in Romans 4. We can see this connection of, of throughout the whole story of God that this this, this story is being woven (laughs) throughout thousands and thousands of years that for the, it says in, in verse 13 of chapter four of Romans. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world 
did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. That whenever Abraham and Sarah gave birth to their son Isaac, Abraham was a hundred years old. So they so they had already taken the L and having Abraham take Hagar as his wife to have Ishmael. Despite his L and try to grab God's promise, still God would come back years later to bless them with a child, even though Sarah was still barren and Abraham was 100 years old. Crazy, right? And in verse 20 says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that even though he had taken all these L's, he had failed in all of these ways, lying about Sarah being his wife, saying, hey, she's my sister. Even trying to grab God's promise by um, having his son Ishmael with Hagar, Whenever God came through and still provided in his promise to Abraham, his faith grew stronger. Verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we see it wasn't just God's thing with Abraham to to give Abraham righteousness because of belief in God's promise, but that it was also for our sake, that we we ourselves are are descendants of, of Abraham through Christ. That Jesus, God became a man in Jesus, lived the perfect human life, died the death we deserved on a Roman cross. But as as Roman 4 says, not only died, but God raised Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we, we ask this question, why would God bless me? I'm a failure. I'm a screw-up. Look at all of my L's. Look to Abraham, who was counted righteous because of his faith. That God chose Abraham just like through Christ, he chooses me and you. Not because we are great, not because I'm great or good, but in his mercy and love to display the riches of his grace, he saves us as we believe in him. Just like Abraham who said yes to God's call and failed, he said yes again. 
he had belief. So, so it is for us. If we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. We will be blessed with the greatest gift of all, experiencing God's presence in part here and now on earth, but fully in eternity. Just as, as Abraham was blessed to be a blessing, not because of his own goodness, but because of God's, so we are blessed to be a blessing, not because of our own doing, but because we believe in God's promise. We believe in the resurrection. So if we are blessed to be a blessing, the question is, how can we bless? You can think about it like this. God told Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And as we look at Abraham's story, we see that there's like this this dynamic of the kingdom that as Abraham loses, he actually gains. So Abraham lost identity, comfort, but he also gained fellowship with God and God's righteousness. But that wasn't just for his own sake. It wasn't just so he would have a great name. But his name was made great so that he would bless all the families of the earth who, who didn't have access to God's blessing, who were not experiencing the richness of God's presence among them. And, and, and that is how all the families of the earth are blessed is experiencing the righteousness of God in their own lives, right? To be to be free, to have new hearts. And who 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 are all the families of the earth that God would go out and, and bless through Abraham and his descendants? So our best working definition for this work would be the largest group with which within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So as we try to, to understand how, how are we as, as the descendants of Abraham spiritually, how, how are we doing in this of seeing all the families of the earth blessed through, through hearing and, and receiving the opportunity to believe to be counted as righteous? How is this going? And, and what the, the missiologist of our day and throughout history is, is, is our best understanding of this is to say it's, it's the largest grouping of people within which the gospel can spread among them without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. And there's a, there's a ton of great resources around this where you can read more about how uh, the missiologists of the church are are thinking about this as we're trying to understand how are we doing in in being a part of this work. Uh, but if you think about it like this, I think this is helpful. So if you even just think about like a different social group uh, than the one that you are found in. So here we are in Seattle, which is home to a ton of tech companies and tech bros who have their own kind of insider language of how they talk about things, right? So I was in the sauna the other day and I was listening to two tech bros just talk shop, right? And and they're even just talking about life, but they're kind of using the the language of the tech bro people. Now that's a, that's a 
it's like a social group uh, of people that there's a way that in which that that they I just can't even understand what they're talking about because of the words they're using. Now we're both using English, right? But imagine how much more so that is true whenever you're trying to explain the the depths of the gospel to even the simplicity of it to someone who doesn't speak the same language as you. Now also think about in in terms of acceptance. Now, if you were to go bring news about something or just even go explain something to someone to come in as, quote-unquote, an expert in something, someone who could be trusted with new information, if you were to go a group, go to a group who doesn't know you, who, who you look different than, we know this is true. In really any scenario you go to, even taking it out out of the spiritual, let's say an individual walks into your workplace and and they come in as an expert on windows. <laughs> not 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 the operating system, but just on the the windows of a building. And and they're telling you you you're doing your windows all wrong. What you need to do is you need to have this whole new kind of 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 glass and that uh your your system for uh windows is is completely wrong it's broken but then you're in the buildings like dude we've been in this building for 10 years and uh we haven't had any issues with our building or with the windows of our building like everything seems okay right but then someone coming in saying like oh no you guys have got it all wrong and and what they what they come back to actually realize you know after this guy coming back again and again and again is that the guy was right but it it was uh someone from uh, a similar industry came in and had a testimony telling them oh well we actually we actually got his windows and it changed the game like we could actually see the see out into the world differently and it actually protected us uh, we thought that we uh, were actually that our our AC bill was as low as it could be until we got these new windows that actually kept the air in. They protected us from the hot air and and kept the cool air in, and vice versa in the winter. It kept all the cold air out. They they worked so much better. It was like we didn't know what we were missing. And and in one sense, that's what it's like with the gospel. People like we're we're blinded. We don't know what we're missing out on. That we we think that we need the new job, the new car, the new house. But we, and we think life is good. Like sure, we we, we don't feel fu- we don't feel fulfilled. But it's kind of outside of our framework of of how that we could really experience full joy, full freedom from the brokenness in our life. So when someone come in comes in who looks different than us, who who feels, you know, like they, they kind of see the world differently and, and we don't have anything in common, we would be much less willing to accept what they're saying until someone within our group who looks like us and we kind of know and trust comes and says the same thing. We're much more willing to accept that. How much more true is that? Whenever we're talking about the eternal truth of the gospel, so what we're saying here is all the families of the earth are just the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a movement without encountering barriers of that understanding or acceptance. So we ask the question, have we done it yet? And I will just use 
the best information we have available to us via the Joshua Project is a group of, of Christians who are just working to answer this question. So in their definition of, of people groups, uh, when we look at an overview of, of the, all the people groups in the world, I believe the Joshua Project is using the definition of an ethno-linguistic people. So it's people groups divided by their ethnicity and the language they speak. And, and they, they would classify the world, dividing them up among 17,400 people groups. And that of those 17,000, there are still 7,300-ish people groups left who are unreached with the gospel, that there's less than 2% Christian. And what that means is that there's, there's, there's not a big a big enough population among that group who is making disciples of Jesus, fulfilling the Great Commission, seeking to bless others with, with the good news of, of through faith, we can experience God's presence in our life, experience the righteousness of God. Again, so it, that's the, the, the people within the group who can share the good news without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So there's still a lot of work to be done. That the gospel has gone far, far to the ends of the earth. As God made this promise to Abraham, we are blessed to bless the nations. And we can see that that uh, this promise to Abraham was was clarified and deepened all the way to the time of Jesus. We're going to fast forward in the story, jump over a lot <laughs> at, 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 the, at the end of Jesus's life and, and post-resurrection before ascending to the Father, Jesus came to the disciples and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. At this, Maybe you've heard that this, this called the Great Commission of Jesus' his final words, uh, recapping all of what he was doing in his life and ministry with the disciples, telling them, which is really just a restatement and a re-clarification of, of God's promise to Abraham to, to make his name great, to be a blessing, to bless all the peoples of the earth, was, was to, again, to go out and make disciples of all nations, to teach them the ways and the words of God, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, to show that, that they are now uh, counted righteous no longer separated from their creator. Each of us, in light of the resurrection, must answer the question how we are participating in the Great Commission, the fulfillment of God's promise to bless all the families of the earth, the nations. And we know that each of our roles will look unique. Some of us is to go. Some of us is to to send, to mobilize, to pray, and welcome. So as we as we seek to answer that question, how is God calling you to bless the nations. I want to provide just six ways, six ideas to throw out to you for you to pray and consider and maybe even feel confirmed like, yeah, I am I am doing this. Or, man, how, how might God be asking me to grow in my obedience to him? 
in one of these ways. So first is just to go. I don't know if you know this, but Resonate Church, our our family of churches, is sending a team to to London, outside of London, to to plant a church in Reading, where the University of Reading is, which has a high population of international students. So really going uh, to a place where where we share more in common to go really to reach the nations as a what we would call maybe a globalizer, someone to go in mobilizing the the families of the earth who are in this city in Europe to go back to their their home countries, their home peoples to bring the gospel with them. So that's just one way that you could go even within our family of churches. Secondly is to pray. You can use resources like the Joshua Project or Operation World, which are great resources to learn about all the families of the earth and, and even the ones that are unreached and, and how to pray specifically for them to receive God's blessing. You can give you can give a, a support financially or through possessions, some other creative way, giving your treasures to support someone maybe moving to London uh, with the church planning team there or other uh, missionaries working on the front lines of bringing the Gospels to the, the peoples of the earth who have not received it. You can welcome that, that there are unreached peoples here in our city, in, in Seattle, here in our campus at the University of Washington. Do you know that the University of Washington has over 8,000 international students? Many of them coming from people groups who are unreached, and they're here studying in our city on our campus, or refugees living here in our city, that there are opportunities to serve, to get to know these people, to bless them. You can send, you can be a part of mobilizing people here to go there. And lastly, you can learn. One great way you can learn is uh, this uh, discipleship course called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement, which is a, an independent organization who works across many denominational lines. Uh, it's not backed by one denomination. It's just for the greater church has very unique perspectives on God's story as we're looking at this summer going through the story of God, as, and they will... Uh, they have they perspect they have uh, teachers come in from all over the world to teach this 15 week course. You have a new instructor every week looking at a different aspect of how God is working among uh, among us and has been and will be doing. And it's a great uh, organization and, and and education really on on not just what is happening, but how you can be a part of it. So I would recommend it. I think it happens every spring here in the greater Seattle area. And those are just some ways, you know, again, I want to reiterate that each of our roles will unique, look unique. As we know that at the body of the church, is it's very unique. We all have different roles in that, and that's beautiful. But we all have a role to play. You know, we, we say, uh, as we've been saying the last couple of years within uh, our family of churches that, that we are the kind of church where everybody plays. Not because we think that we're unique, but because we we think that's what God intended, <laughs> is that we all have a, of a piece to play in God's story. And I think whenever we do this, we see beautiful things happen. And I want to end uh, this morning 
with just encouraging us of a story uh, of really how this is happening right here in in our country, in our city, in our day. That this isn't something that uh, is like this magical, grandiose, like, how is this even happening right now? As I think uh, so many of us have have friends among the Grace Point uh, Church, and, and, and there's, a, there's a couple here right now working in Seattle, Hardy and Joy. They're, they're working with Grace Point Seattle in, in reaching international students here at, at UW. And, and Joy's story is uh, she was a student down in Berkeley in California, and she uh, came uh, as an international student. Um, so she, she was not uh, from here <laughs> and from the States. But, but while, she was, uh, while she was a college student, she, she heard the gospel and God gripped her heart uh, with, with his grace and she became a follower of Jesus. And, and as, as someone who was from uh, Asia, had a, had a differing worldview, uh, but was still able to receive the gospel. So many times we can feel like, and the, 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 the soil is so hard here in Seattle, and even among people from America, right? Fellow Americans, let alone internationals who have a total different worldview. Uh, well, Joy had a different worldview, but received the blessing of God and would go on to share it uh, with her family. And uh, Joy was in kind of encouraging us recently how uh, it took over a decade of sharing the good news uh, with her mother. But it was like, I think it was this last Easter that her mother uh, received the gospel and began uh, following Jesus alongside of her. And I want to encourage us with that this morning. As, as we look at God's promise to Abraham, is that that's still happening. You know, in our, we need these stories of how God is still doing this. That he is, even in unique ways, it's happening on American soil, you know, uh, an unreached people or even people groups from all over the world are here on our soil or in Europe. You know, they're all over. Like, it's, it's becoming increasingly complex but despite all of the complexity, God is still blessing all the families of the earth through his people. This promise that came thousands of years ago is still being fulfilled. And each of us have a role to play in that, that we are blessed to be a blessing. So our prayer this morning is that we as a church would live in the freedom of God's blessing that we've received and seek to bless all the families of the earth for God's glory and the good of our campus and city here in Seattle.